Greetings, GBC Church family. I pray this message finds you in good health and counting your blessings in the midst of this virus pandemic that we're going through. I trust with all the social distancing and unable to meet in person, I pray that you're being creative in ways that you can reach out to one another in the body of Christ. Uh, Please know if there's need of anything, uh, someone to talk to, or if you need something picked up at the store, uh, please don't hesitate to reach out and ask us, and we'll be sure to uh, help you out in any way we can. Know that we're here to serve you during this time. Some of you have asked about church offerings, and that's part of our worship as well. And uh, you can simply mail in your church offering to Grace Bible Church, 2225 Euclid Avenue, Redwood City, California, 94061. Or you can give securely through the church app online. If you mail in your offering, please put on the envelope, attention, Treasurer or attention Ivor. He's our church treasurer and we'll be sure to get him the funds that you send in. We want to thank those of you who have been so supportive during this time of crisis. We truly appreciate it. We still have expenses. We still have missionaries we support and things like that. Even though we're not meeting here on Sundays, there's other things that go on. And so we just appreciate your support during this time. Well, today is Communion Sunday. And so we would like to encourage you to celebrate the Lord's table, to celebrate communion with your family, or even if you're alone by yourself, by yourself, just uh, take some cracker and juice and, and do what we do here uh, when we celebrate communion. You remember the Lord's death until he comes, the Lord's sacrifice for our sins. And remember that all that he's done for you and, and worship him as you do this. And uh, it's not something that needs to be done in a church building. You can do it with your family in your home. And so we pray that you'll take some time to worship him and thank him for his great gift of salvation, which is only available through his sacrifice on Calvary. Well, to start off this morning, I want to ask Ken Saragusa, one of our elders here at GBC, to come and welcome us and give us some brief announcements and then introduce our scripture reading. Good Sunday morning to those who are part of our regular GBC family, and welcome to those who are following our Sunday messages with the GBC app or online at gracebibleonline.org. We pray that you are all doing well as we enter into our third week of not being able to meet as a congregation. There can be many blessings even during difficult times, and we are in such a time. However, the unchanging character of our God and his sovereign power is an anchor through the tempest of this storm. And as we look ahead into a new week, may God use us wherever we are for his glory to be his representatives of hope to give to those who have none and peace and stability in the midst of an ever-changing world around us. Now this is Communion Sunday, and we pray that you would take the time with your family and partake in the ordinance of communion to remember the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ as we do when we meet together. A couple brief announcements. 
Ladies Bible study will continue on Tuesday evenings at 7 p.m. on Zoom. Also, the prayer meeting on Thursday mornings at 8.30 will continue. And this week, Men of the Word will meet Thursday at 7 p.m. And an email will be sent to those of us who have been part of that uh, to give us the understanding of how to get on Zoom with everybody else. So we look forward to that time. Now as we open each Sunday morning, we ask you to please take hold of your Bibles as our brother Emmanuel reads today's opening scripture. So if you would, would you turn to John chapter 18, verses 25 through 40. Brother Emmanuel, come and share God's word this morning. John 18, verse 25 to 40. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it. And at once a rooster crowed. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this out of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my world, if my kingdom was of this world, my servants would, would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that we're still here. Lord, I just ask that you would uh, watch over us, that you would remove anything that gets in the way, Father, from us being able to worship you this morning. Father, I pray, Father, that uh, we would uh, continue to wait patiently for that day when we can come together again and 
worship you together in spirit and truth, Father. Pray for our president uh, as they continue to make decisions on what's best for our country, Lord. And I ask that you would watch over them, Father. Pray, Lord, that um, we would uh, be able to focus this morning and listen to your word, Father, as the message is delivered. And I ask these things, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, the only Lord and Savior. Amen. I'd also like to ask Ken to come now and uh, on the first Sunday of the month, Communion Sunday, we always have a missions update. And so Ken is going to come and share a letter from Randy and Edie Nelson with us at this time. And because this is Communion Sunday, we usually focus in on one of our missionaries. And this week, this month, we have the Nelsons that sent us a letter. And so I'm going to just briefly read that letter. Hi, Sam and Steve and the GBC family. I'm writing to you from here in California, and the past weeks have been interesting as we prayed and tried to see where to go as each event occurred. Edie and I had a very good three-plus weeks in Kenya. The first week we met two pastors from Lake Avenue there. They had a plan to help raise funds for the water and well in early May. However, we are not sure how that plan will go. But we had a great time in Turkana of encouraging the church, teaching and preaching. It was Edie's first time back in over eight years, and she also spent time with the missionaries who lived there in our former house and took our place. Back in Nairobi, other missionary friends provided us with a car and a drive to stay in their home. Before leaving Thailand, we were concerned that Thailand was not reporting all the virus cases or taking serious measures. We had made plans for our team to close the Children's Center early last Saturday and close the other ministries as well. They would normally close for the Thai New Year, so our team in Thailand are all at home now. Tom and Ying made it safely to Tom's home village, where the local government asked them to be in quarantine for at least two weeks. So they are staying in a small cabin and a rubber tree farm. Now travel home to villages is restricted. Thailand this week began very strict measures as it finally came out that the virus was spreading fast. It's much the same as it is here in California. Malls, restaurants, and so on are closed. In the process of this, Thailand flights became difficult and we were told we would have to have a COVID-19 test to return. Fortunately, the airlines all refunded our return trip tickets, and we were able to rebook to fly back to Kenya, arriving safely this week and beginning a strict quarantine there. Kenya is now locked down, no flights in or out. Thailand has a few flights, but it's very difficult to enter. I'm not sure if my schedule Knee replacement is still on for mid-April, but we are grateful above all for safe travel, incredible protection, and the care of our Lord as we made our way back to the U.S. and a chance to encourage the leaders in Turkana before the country closed down. Hoping you are all doing well, Randy and Edie. May we continue to keep them and other missionaries that are in the midst of this all over our world, as well as those here at home. 
And so we ask you to continue to lift them up in prayer. Well, thank you. You know, we're going through a series here now entitled Surviving the Storm. And this is the second message in this series. And usually we're studying through a book of the Bible, but we've taken a break from our study through 1 Corinthians, and we're focusing on equipping you to best weather this current storm in which we find ourselves. And be sure, we will return to 1 Corinthians when this is over in a couple weeks. But with this COVID-19 virus pandemic raging its way around the world and our nation, most of us alive today can honestly say we've never seen or experienced anything like this. This has truly shaken even the surest of economies. It has shaken the bravest of souls, literally to the very core. I mean, who would have thought when we welcomed in New Year's 2020, anything even remotely close to something like this could have ever happened? You could say it has the very foundation of our society and world rattled, shaken. Well, today, before some comments on our communion time, I'll be making those in a few moments. I want to take a brief look at the fact that our foundation is Christ. Christ is our foundation. So I would ask you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and we'll be looking at verses 9 through 17. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 9 through 17. You can follow along in your Bibles as I read this for us. Paul writes, We are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold and silver, precious stone, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work has anyone, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Father, we ask this morning that you would open our hearts and our minds to your word. I pray that this would be an encouraging study as we look at Christ being our foundation when we look around and see all other kinds of foundations are being shaken to the very core. We know that your foundation of Christ stands firm, stands solid, stands secure, and we thank you for that. 
We pray you'd open our hearts and minds to your word. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. See, it's not alone. This scripture is not alone. There's a lot of other scriptures in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, that speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ being held forth under the notion of being a foundation. Believers, on the other hand, the church of the firstborn, being that building that builds upon the foundation of Christ. Well, that's what we want to look at. We want to look at that this morning in light of not only Palm Sunday, but in light of Communion Sunday. You know, you can really define the doctrine of the church in one sentence. It's the Lord Jesus Christ as the foundation and believers are the building reared upon that foundation. There is like a union, a relationship between him and them as there is between a foundation and a building. Now that relation and union is very near. It's very close. As a matter of fact, the closer the better. And that is such with Christ and his church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17, it says, But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. For, or in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11, it says, For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. It's very near relationship between Christ and his church just like it would be between the foundation and the walls of a building. But it's also very necessary. It's very useful. See, the building cannot stand without a foundation, or at least it can't stand very long. A foundation may stand long enough without a building on it, but no building can stand without a foundation under it. And they must be joined. They must be joined together. They must be united So Christ might have been without us at a point in time. But we cannot be without him. Now you might ask, as some people do, well, isn't the foundation built upon the apostles and the prophets? Isn't that what scripture says? Well, let's look at that for a second. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 to 22, Paul writes this. So then you are no longer strangers or aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built, listen, on the foundation of the prophets, of the apostles and the prophets. Christ himself, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Or in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, the Lord says, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. See, I answer the question this way. It is not said the foundation is the, prof, the, uh, the apostles or the prophets. 
it says, but the foundation of the apostles. That is the foundation which they themselves rested upon. Had the apostles and the prophets been asked one by one, if you had the opportunity to ask them, who is your foundation? They wouldn't say, it's us. They would have said, the Lord Jesus Christ. On whom do you build your life? The Lord Jesus Christ. He was their all in all. And therefore, he should be our all in all as well. Christ was the foundation which they reported and preached of to others. Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 3.10, we just read it, I laid the foundation. Well, what was that? What did he mean? Did he mean that he was laying himself as the foundation? No. He qualifies that in verse 11. The foundation is Christ. See, the prophets prophesied of who? Of Christ as to come. The apostles pointed at him as already come. John the Baptist, remember what he said, behold, the Lamb of God. And in Matthew chapter 16, verses 18, growing up in the Catholic Church, I heard this a lot, that that rock was Peter, that the church was built upon Peter. But that's not true. That's not what that's saying. That rock is not meant for the person of Peter. If it was, that would be a poor rock to build a church upon. A rock shaking immediately. In verse 22, if you look at that text, and worse afterwards, chapter 26 in Matthew, gets even worse. But what is intended is the, the foundation. It's the confession of Peter. That thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But you also ask, and you say, well, isn't Christ known as the cornerstone? And the cornerstone is not a foundation, is it? See, his being the cornerstone does not hinder him from being the foundation also. He is both in different respects, if you think about it. In Isaiah chapter 28, and this is the portion of Scripture I want to focus on this morning, Isaiah 28, verse 16. The prophet Isaiah writes this, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who is laid as a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. See, the use of a cornerstone is to what? It's to unite the sides of the building and of the foundation too. That's, that's the role of a cornerstone. It ties everything together. And that's what Christ did. He did that by making Jews and Gentile one in the body of Christ. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13 and 14, Paul writes this, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. See, that he could join those two distant sides, Jew and Gentile, and make them one 
certainly, and we hope he will do this in due time, he will reconcile all lesser differences. See, the corner post is reckoned very necessary material when you're building a timber building. You have to have something to anchor it to. And so is the cornerstone. That's why in Psalm 118, verse 22, it says, The stone which the the builders refused has become the headstone of the corner, the chief cornerstone. Well, this morning I want to look at some aspects of Christ being our foundation. Christ being our foundation. I want to show you some of the properties of Christ as the foundation and what kind of foundation he is. And to do that, we want to look at Isaiah chapter, Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16. We see here in this text, it first says, I lay. That is who? God the Father. He's the one that knew very well how to lay this foundation. He's a God of infinite wisdom, of infinite power. And it's a laid foundation. That's the first point, a laid foundation. The Lord Jesus Christ did not take it upon himself to be the foundation. He didn't take this honor of being the mediator between him and God upon himself. No, he was called to it by his heavenly Father. It was appointed by God for such a purpose. This is our comfort. This should be our joy. He that could best tell what would best serve to satisfy his offended justice here fixed on his son for that purpose. In Job 33, verse 24, it says, Deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom. Or in Psalm 89, verse 19, I have laid help upon one that is mighty. I have exalted one chosen out of the people. See, Jesus Christ is a laid foundation. He was laid by the Heavenly Father. He was not just a laid foundation, but he's a low foundation. Now, if you ever look at a foundation, if you know anything about foundations, foundations are usually low. (laughs) They're set low. As a matter of fact, the lower, the surer the foundation. Some of the buildings they build here in Redwood City before they even begin to put up walls. What do they do? They go down usually several stories below the surface and they lay a foundation. So here the Lord Jesus Christ was laid very low that he might be a foundation for us. Philippians chapter 2 verse 6 tells us this. Paul says, in being found in human form, he was point of death, even death on a cross. This means simply he humbled himself. There are many different steps in this humiliation that he went through. First of all, he was brought down in his humiliation into the human race, into the human nature. He was made to be man. That was a long step down. That the word should become flesh was more than if a, a, a star should turn into a clog of mud. He was brought low. But he was also brought low 
under the subjection of the law. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, it says, When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. Not the moral law, the ceremonial law. He was circumcised, presented in the temple, redeemed and ransomed by two turtle doves, bound to go up to all the feasts. That was part of his upbringing. But he was also humbled into poverty, into persecution, contempt and contradiction, even to be spurned and to be trampled upon. But he was also laid low in death itself, even the death of a cross, the painful, shameful death on a cross. This was the Lord Jesus Christ, God himself, the creator of all we see around us, brought himself down to the point of being executed on a cross. To die on a cross was the term they used when you you were lifted up on the cross, but really it was a sign of humiliation. There was nothing lifting up about it. But also... He was brought low even to the grave. The Bible says that he was buried. So he was, as many other foundations are, laid under the ground. And there was a necessity for all of this. If none of this happened, guess what? There would be no atonement. There would be no reconciliation. There would be no justification. There would be no forgiveness for our sins. So the Lord Jesus Christ is a laid foundation. He's a low foundation. But he's also a foundation of stone. It says that right there in the text, a stone. I mean, if you're going to make a foundation out of anything, stones are probably good things to make foundations out of because they're hard. They're firm. So Jesus Christ is a stone foundation. He's a rock in 1 Corinthians 10:4 it says the Israelites all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and guess what and the rock was Christ see Jesus Christ is our rock he is our foundation of bedrock of stone it's unmovable well fourthly Jesus Christ is a foundation out of sight a foundation out of sight. Most foundations are out of sight when you think about it. I've never driven past a house and said, wow, look at the foundation on that. That really looks good. No, why? Because you usually don't see the foundation. The foundation's hidden. What do you see? You see the building, but you don't see the foundation. Now such a foundation is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's out of our sight, not below us, as he once was, under the earth, but above us in glory. His person is out of our sight, yet we still love him. 1 Peter 1, 8 points that out. Even though we don't see him, we love him. His presence is invisible. We don't see Jesus walking around on the street, but he's with us everywhere, especially when we celebrate our communion time. 
but it's in an invisible way. We feel it, we do not see it. He promised as much in Matthew chapter 28, verse 20. He says, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. See, his proceedings are invisible. The proceedings of his grace within, the proceedings of his providence without. He's a foundation that is out of sight. Well, the fifth thing about the foundation of Christ is that he is a precious foundation. It says that there, a precious foundation. I mean, though all stones in their place may be useful, they are not all precious stones. Few, few buildings are built of precious stones. But guess what? The church is. The church is built of precious stones. Christ is precious in himself. He is of great worth. The fairest of ten thousands. He is precious in their account and esteem. To others, he is a stone of stumbling. They stumble over Christ. But to them that believe, the Bible says that he is a precious stone. Well, sixthly, not only is he a precious stone, but he is a permanent foundation. He's a permanent foundation. Isaiah 26, 4, the rock of ages from everlasting to everlasting. The saints have been building on him from the beginning and will continue until the end of all time. Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His righteousness is everlasting righteousness. His promises are unchangeable promises. If there's one thing you want in a foundation, you don't want it to be changing. (laughs) You don't want it to be moving. Had the opportunity to go back east and visit our family home, and I'm looking at the foundation of the home, and I'm seeing some cracks here and there in the foundation, and I'm wondering, whoa, what's going on there? Something's moving. Christ is not like that. He's a permanent foundation. He does not move. That's why we're secure in Christ. No matter what the world may throw at us, no matter what the enemy may throw at us, it's irrelevant. We're unmovable in Christ. Next, he was a chosen foundation, an elect foundation, by the way. It says he was chosen of God, he was precious. See, Jesus didn't one day in heaven say, hey, I'm going to go down and do my own thing down there on earth. No, it was the Father who elected him for this purpose, chose him for this purpose. Before the foundation of the world, the Bible says, that he was chosen to be a sacrifice for sin, a perfect sacrifice. God is not a God that needs to respond or react to his creation. That's not the God we serve. The God we serve is an all-powerful God, all-knowing God. Nothing catches him by surprise. God knew that where this virus that we're experiencing right now started, he knows how it will end. 
He knows what kind of solution they'll come up with. He knows all that. And in due time, it will come to pass. But don't think that God doesn't have a purpose, a plan. This didn't happen by chance. Nor did Christ. His sacrifice on the cross. This was predetermined by his heavenly father because he was an elect chosen foundation. And then lastly, it says that he's a tried stone, an experienced stone, experienced foundation. He was tried by God who laid a load of him on him of sin. Men, devils, did their best against him. Yet all to no avail. Because he will never leave us nor forsake us. He will never fail us. The God we serve is a, is a God who cares for us immensely and sent his son to the cross to die for our sins so that we once again could have life everlasting. That's Christ, our foundation, unshakable foundation. I pray that as we come to our communion time this morning, that you can reflect on the foundation of Christ upon which we stand. Before our communion I'd like to read Luke chapter 22, verses 14 to 23. Luke 22, verses 14 to 23. This is where the Lord instituted the Lord's table. And when the hour came, he reclined at the table, and the apostles were with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat the Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it amongst yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be who was going to do this. See, communion is simply a snapshot. It's a picture of what we want to remember. You know, when you look at a picture of your family, your loved ones, I pray that those pictures touch your heart. Maybe you remember the, the fond times that you spent together. Maybe one of your family members is removed from you, and when you look at their picture, you, you long to be with them. 
You long to be in their presence. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ left us a snapshot of himself. He left us something to remember him by. And we should pause and we should look at it often. And when we do, it should remind us of how much he loves us, his great love for us. And how it was shown to us through the cross. It should really fill our hearts with the desire to see him when he comes again. It should make us look at ourselves and ask, are we ready to meet him? Is there anything in my life that needs to be dealt with before I meet my bridegroom face to face? See, it should touch our hearts and make us say, thank God for what he has given us in Christ Jesus. See, that's a a snapshot of the Lord's Supper. And as you know, we, we celebrate the Lord's Supper often. We celebrate it usually once a month. Maybe we should celebrate it more according to the Lord's commands. He says, do this often, as often as you can. And so when we come to the Lord's Supper, we should look first to ourselves, and then we look to Christ. First of all, we look to ourselves. See, as the Lord Jesus Christ and his disciples met for their final evening together before his crucifixion, what did he do? He dropped a, a bombshell in the middle of the supper. And he says this, But behold, the hand of the one betraying me is with me on the table. I mean, think about it. What an incredible charge. I mean, they knew that the Jewish leaders were opposed to Jesus, but one of their own? One who was sitting there at that moment eating the Passover with the Lord Jesus Christ? How could this even be? Luke records how this news led them into a a silly dispute about which one was the greatest in Luke 22. But before the controversy broke out, Mark 14, 19, Mark 14, 19 records that the disciples did something uncharacteristic, but right. Each one questioned his own allegiance to Christ. They questioned it by asking, surely not I, Lord. Remember that? See, Matthew informs us that even Judas asked the question the one that was the betrayer. In the case of the 11, it was a sincere question that reflected their lack of confidence in their own spiritual strength. Sometimes that's good. Sometimes we grow too confident in our Christianity. Now, in Judas's case, it was a hypocritical attempt to cover up his deceit but it's significant that nobody said it must be Judas. Do you ever think about that? I mean, we look back on it and go, well, what were they missing? Instead, each one looked soberly within. They looked at themselves and asked, Lord, is it I? I know occasionally after a communion service, inevitably, someone will come up to me And they'll say, oh, pastor, you know, during communion, I saw so-and-so take communion. What do you think of that? And I always want to say, why are you looking at so-and-so? 
none of your business. That's between them and the Lord. And don't get me wrong, we want to paint a, a fence around the communion table. We don't open it up for everybody. We expect you to know the Lord Jesus Christ if you're going to partake in communion. Because if you don't know him, if you haven't been forgiven for your sins, it doesn't really mean anything to you. But for those that know Christ, it's between them and the Lord. And in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight to 32, the apostle Paul tells that each person should examine himself, not his neighbor, himself, before he partakes of the elements of the supper. He warns that if you don't do this, basically you're eating and you're drinking judgment onto yourself. Which may result in being disciplined of the Lord, which may result in even physical illness, possibly even death. Well, there's several areas that we should examine ourselves in. We should examine our attitudes We always need to examine our attitudes. We should examine our actions. We should examine things that are not pleasing before the Lord. But we should also examine our affections. What are we longing for? What are we yearning for? Are these things that honor the Lord? So we need to look within ourselves before we take communion. But then, when we come to the Lord's Supper, we should look at Christ We look to Christ who sovereignly laid down his life for our own accord. We look to Christ who knows our hearts better than anyone. He knows everything about us. He knows what we're thinking before we even say it. He knows what we're thinking before we even think it. (laughs) We look to Christ whose sacrificial death is the heart of the Christian faith. He was the one that went to the cross, the perfect Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. We look to Christ whose resurrection and promised return assure us of the efficacy of his death. See, when he rose from the dead, that was God cashing the check on his death. It's paid in full. Your work is done. It is finished, he said on the cross. Why do we continue to labor on thinking somehow we're earning God's grace? Even in Christian circles, people do this. We need to be trusting in Christ and Christ alone. I pray as you partake of your communion together with your family or even by yourself, please know the Lord is there with you. And he is delighted in the fact that you're taking time in your home to celebrate the death of his son for the forgiveness of our sin. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Lord, we come to you in prayer. We thank you for the sacrifice of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that perfect lamb of God who was without spot, without stain, without sin. He was perfect in every way, yet in human form, even like us. He needed to be human so that he could die. But he also needed to be divine so that he could be 
the complete and perfect sacrifice for our sins. And for all those who would place their faith, their trust in him and in him alone for salvation. Lord, may you be glorified today as we celebrate your death as complete payment for our sins. We pray, Lord, that you will give us the strength, that you'll give us the perseverance during these times of trial for our church, for our community, for our nation, for the world. We ask, Lord, that you would use all of this that we see happening around us for your glory. This didn't catch you by surprise. If there's anyone who's listening to this message today and desires to be forgiven of their sins, Lord, I pray that you would lead them to you for salvation. Not to a religion, not to a a church, but to you. Draw them, draw their heart to you as you promised to do. Show them the, the sin that stains their heart and their lives and grieves you as their creator. I pray, Lord, that you will grant them repentance, that you will show them their need of a Savior and cause their heart to turn to you and you alone for salvation and forgiveness. It's a simple prayer to pray. Lord, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Save me from my sins. Allow me to be washed by the blood of Christ for the forgiveness of my sins. See, when you pray that prayer from a sincere heart, God will answer that prayer. He will save you. He will wash you. He will make you as new. If you'll just trust him today for the salvation that he offers to you. Turn from your sin to the Savior. We pray, Lord, for our nation that you'll give our president and vice president and those in charge wisdom as we deal with this virus and this pandemic that is going around our nation and the world. Lord, we pray for the scientists that you will even supernaturally give them the ability to put together the right drug to treat this so that people can get back to work, so that our economy can be moving again, so that things can somewhat return to normal. Lord, we pray that even this time is from your hand. Lord, we know sometimes we get so busy in the rat race of life, something like this causes us pause, causes us to stop, to count our blessings, to remember that this world is not our home, that we're just passing through. Lord, we thank you for the church. We long and we yearn to be together as the church once again, but until that time, we pray that we would be faithful to you as our Lord and our God. We ask you to Bless this coming week. Provide for those who may have need. We pray that we would be the body of Christ we need to be to those around us. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' precious name, all God's people said, amen.